2: thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: Donald Trump and Beto O'Rourke competing rallies down in El Paso, Texas. Who's got the bigger rally? Well, it depends on which one you believe. Hey, hello, everybody. How about it? Are you ready for a Tuesday, February 12th? Well, I hope so, because here we go. Bring you all the news of the day for wherever it's going on in this great planet of ours. We'll bring you up to date on the latest from our perch right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we join you with the news from Washington, from uh, Virginia, from Texas last night, from around the country and around the globe. Uh, all of the news of the day for you to comment on and you to send us your comments about uh, lots going on. It looks like 180 degrees from where we were yesterday, it looks like there is, in fact, uh, a deal in principle, a tentative deal, has to be now put into legislation, has to pass the House and the Senate, has to get the signature of the President of the United States, which could be tough because it doesn't give him what anywhere close to what he wants in terms of funding for the wall. But if all of those ifs take place, uh, we might avert another shutdown by the end of the week. A shutdown which nobody wants to see except Donald Trump because he enjoyed the first Trump down, Trump shutdown so much. Maybe that's what we should call it, a Trump down. A Trump down. Trump down is not bad. He enjoyed the first Trump shutdown so much he would like to see a second one. Lots going on. Again, we'll uh, run you through it. You tell us. Where you come out on uh, on all of the news of the day, and you know how to do so, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. On Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press.
2: Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, you know, I always love to tell you about the hot new menu items at fast food
1: restaurants. I, I know, and, and every one of them turns me off more.
2: Oh, you're going to love this one then, because McDonald's has announced that they are adding a new item. Stop. Stop. <laughs> You said the word McDonald's. Stop. <laughs> They're adding a new item to their breakfast menu, and it will be for a limited time. They are donut sticks, fried donuts that are covered in cinnamon sugar and uh, sold by the half dozen or the full dozen. Oh, God. That you can get for breakfast. They will be rolling it out. Uh, nationwide, to all of their this is uh, child stores abuse. you know, on you know that This is
1: just for little kids to say,
0: Daddy, I want some donut sticks. Daddy, yeah. I want some donut sticks.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't feed your kids donut sticks from McDonald's. No. That would be a very bad idea. Hey, how about this? You know, when you go to the grocery store, do you ever use the self checkout? Uh, a grocery store? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Wow. I hate them. I mean, that a lot. I hate them. I hate the self-checkout things. I, I will use them sometimes. But there's actually a trend.
1: I that, shouldn't because they put good workers well, out of business.
2: you're onto something. Because yeah. there are some, especially in Canada, but also here in America, there are grocery stores that are taking them out. They're getting rid of <laughs> them, and they're adding in uh, actual checkers and clerks that will do you know, the job for you. They said that they heard... From people that saying, number one, they're not that efficient. They don't work that well. By the
1: way, yeah, th- th- there are always problems. A hundred percent true. And it's, so they're off, you have to have a worker there to help you out. Exactly, Anyhow, right.
2: exactly. And they also said that, p- that the stores are hearing from their customers, "Hey, you should just pay somebody to do this. Why are you yeah. having us yeah. do the job that you should be doing, and then somebody else? You know." So th- we're seeing a trend. I think that this is positive news.
1: Remember uh, uh, Mark Perone, who's the president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, talked about that when he was in the studio with us. Yeah. But people also like talking to a person when they are checking out of a store. They, There's they, a little interaction there that you know.
2: A lot of people pointed that out. Yeah. That they they yeah. feel better about you know having that interaction in their day. They talk to somebody and they yeah, they right. don't feel confused about how to do it. You
1: get and by the way, and they get to know their regulars. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're Good against news. those. Good, Good news. news. This is the Bill Press Show. Kamala Harris says she's all for the legalization of pot because it gives people a lot of joy. Got my vote. <laughs> Doesn't take much. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we go. Tuesday, February 12. Didn't this used to be Lincoln's birthday? I think so. I
2: don't know. That's a good
1: question. I think some, something just rang a bell here somewhere. I, hey, check it out. Check it out. Or I anyhow, we have President's Day next Monday, right where they wrap them all together now in one day. but um,
2: today is Abraham Lincoln's birthday. There you go.
1: yeah hey, hey Abe, you did a good job. Yeah and we're very grateful and happy, happy birthday, birthday. There, you go. <laughs> there, you go. there you go All right, as I was saying, it's Tuesday, February 12 and this is the Bill press show. It was so good to see you today. You can tell how tightly uh, scripted the show is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by how we open the show every day. Uh, and we are with you online, on television, and on the radio, joining you every way we possibly can so there's no way you can escape us. We don't want to lose you anyway at all. So we'll provide you the opportunity to join us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Stay around on television while you're at home, uh, if you're lucky enough to have TV on the Free Speech TV network, uh, and also on the radio in Indiana statewide on Indiana Talks, and in Chicago, our big home in Chicago and all the greater Chicago area, uh, hello, hello on WCPT, and welcome, by the way, to Joan Esposito, who started her show yesterday on WCPT. Uh, I was able to jump in for a couple of minutes and uh, congratulate her. So uh, those of you out in Chicago, uh, we have the honor of uh, waking you up and getting you to work every day. Uh, Joan has the honor of bringing you back home uh, safely all on WCPT. Uh, yes, indeed, lot's going on yesterday. And as we, we talked about the border uh, yesterday, the news was that talks had broken down over the weekend. And it looked like uh, they may not reach an agreement, um, but if they really wanted to get it done to to avert the second Trump shutdown by Friday midnight, last night was really kind of the deadline because they can't vote on something until it's been out for three days, which means they would have to craft it today and then let it sit for the rest of today, Wednesday and Thursday and bring it up for a vote either Thursday night or Friday morning. So it had to be done by last night. Everybody said, no, probably not going to happen. Well, boom, boom, boom. Here it is. It looks like they got it done. At least uh, here is Senator Shelby, the chief Senate negotiator, because the Republicans still control the Senate, announcing um, that, um, you know, um, we have a a deal, maybe.
3: We reached an agreement in principle.
1: That's all they will say, an agreement in principle. Uh, what the, the leaks say, uh, that first of all, this issue of the how many beds ICE has in their detention centers uh, turned out to be kind of a non-issue because uh, ICE had found some money somewhere else and they agreed on a number of beds, which is actually fewer than ICE was demanding uh, and the fewer than the issue that sort of broke... The uh, made things all fall apart. So the bet issue was sort of resolved itself, and on the wall funding issue, there is get this now, no money for a concrete wall, no money for a concrete or steel barrier that Donald Trump has been talking about. Uh, there is, um, and remember they'd agreed before on like $1.3 um, billion, so the number ends up being 1.375 billion for new barriers like they call them bollards like you have her here around the Capitol, so cars can't drive through or something They're, and and there'd be about to fix some existing bollards or barriers and 55 new miles uh, that that would be covered by this 1.375 billion but there's actually language in, there, language in there saying there will be no concrete wall and no great big steel structure wall like Donald Trump wants. Um, and those new barriers for 55 miles will be uh, in the Rio Grande Canyon, the, the area that the border says is the area that's uh, the most vulnerable or where they have the uh, most traffic. Uh, so the question is, uh, will that deal um, be get through the House, get through the Senate? Probably. Uh, No money for the wall, so what will Donald Trump do about it? He's going to find some way to spin it so that it turns out to be a win for him. But as he made clear last night, so meanwhile, what does Donald Trump do about this? Well, he goes down to El Paso to hold a campaign rally, which, by the way, does nothing to resolve the problem. All it does is force us taxpayers uh, to give him a junket down to El Paso and back uh, so he can get up and give a stupid, rambling seventy-five-minute speech, which he did last night, and say nothing. It's all for the glorification of Donald J. Trump. It, you know, it, if if you if you watch, no contribution at all to zero. resolving this 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 issue.
2: Zero. And if you watch and you see how happy he is. Oh God. And you yeah. see that you know yeah. he's never ever ever happy, right? But when he gets in front of a crowd that adores him, he really he beams. And that's what this is really all about. He's yeah. going down there to feel better about himself.
1: Uh, and, of course, these idiots love it, right? Oh, they okay. love it. Yeah, right. So by, so he gets down there and he starts out by saying, by the way, in terms of how his presence there has anything to do with resolving the issue of border security and bringing people together and keeping the government open, he makes it very clear from the beginning he does not give a rat's ass what they came up with.
3: I said, wait a minute. I got to take care of my people from Texas. I got to go. I don't even want to hear about it. I don't even want to hear about it. I don't even
1: want to hear about it. Yeah. You would think, right, he would get on the phone like to Richard Shelby or Dick Durbin or and, and say, hey, I hear you guys came close Tell me about it. This is really good news. Good work. Right? No, he says. I don't even want to hear about it. Right. I had a choice, he said. Right? I have a choice. Yeah.
3: Maybe progress, may, maybe not. But I had a choice. Uh-huh. I could have yeah. stayed out there and listened, or I could have come out to the people of El Paso and Texas. Uh, I chose you.
1: Yeah. That's my choice. I could have stayed there and done some work, or I could have hopped on Air Force One and spent... million to come down here to El Paso uh, and uh, show off,
3: basically. I don't even want to hear about it.
1: Uh Uh-uh. Don't want to hear about it. And he says, by the way, it doesn't matter then, he says. He admitted it doesn't matter for him what they come up with because he's going to do whatever the F he wants.
3: As I was walking up to the stage, they said that progress is being made with this committee. Just so you know, we're building the wall anyway. They say that progress has been made with this So
1: we don't care what Congress does. We don't care what the American people want. I'm going to do it anyway because I'm me, right? I'm the big bad Donald J. Trump. Uh, There was a, uh, I I love this fact, that there was a a competing rally last night uh, and Beto O'Rourke, unsuccessful, sadly, Senate candidate, Possible Democratic presidential candidate hasn't made up his mind yet. So he said, boy, "If Donald Trump's coming down here to gather supporters of the wall, we ought to have some place where people who don't don't want this wall could also gather." And it was just uh, down the street from where Donald Trump was. So I, I saw some things that across the street, others a mile I, away. I, I, I don't saw know, it it was,
2: a couple blocks away.
1: Yeah, I, yeah.
2: I don't know how close it was, but they were they were close enough.
1: They, they were they were close enough. And Beto had a huge, huge, we'll get to that in a second, huge rally, but a huge turnout. Of course, Donald Trump has to put him down, just like he puts everybody uh, down.
3: But a young man Uh, who's got very little going for himself, except he's got a great first name. He is, he challenged us. So we have, let's say, 35,000 people tonight, and he has... (laughs) 200 people, 300
1: people, not too good. What a clown. As a matter of fact, the hall where... 200, 300 people. I mean, come on. Right. The hall where Donald Trump spoke holds 11,000 people. Uh, There were several thousand outside as well, watching on big screens. We don't know exactly how many.
2: Which, by the way, I just want to point out, like even though it holds eleven thousand, it was not
1: thirty-five thousand people. Well,
2: we, we, like if yeah. it says it holds eleven thousand, it, it does not. When, when a president speaks, it doesn't hold the full eleven thousand. Right, they have right. to block off a large portion exactly.
1: of these Exactly, good things. point. So, right, like yeah,
2: still probably like. Seven, eight thousand, something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, give him nine. I don't care. Sure. Or nine, whatever. Right. No, he didn't, he didn't. And he had, but he's the president of the United States. I mean, with all the publicity about the rally and they brought people in. I mean, he's got a whole organization. That's all they do, right? Is go out there and beat the bushes and get people out to a rally like this. Beto O'Rourke has zero organization. So again, with Donald Trump, let's say nine thousand or seven inside, and I don't know, give him another five outside. Beto O'Rourke had between, according to the police. 200, between, 300? Yeah. <laughs> 200, 300, no. Between ten 000 and 15,000 people down the street, right? Just on his own. He's the one guy. He's going down. He doesn't have a band. He doesn't have a staff. He doesn't have an army. But just said, hey, if you're against the wall, you know, come down here, and we'll give you a place to chant and, and hold your signs up. But O'Rourke at the rally saying, we stand here against walls.
2: We stand for America and we stand against walls.
1: And one of the things he points out which uh that hasn't gotten enough attention, right, is it's not like some people have made this point but not enough. It's not that we can just go down there and do anything we want and build anything we want. There's a lot of private property, ranches, farms, homes, whatever, backyards that the government would have to either buy or seize. Better or worse.
3: Walls do not make us safer. Walls will require us to take someone's property, their house, their farm.
1: Uh, and so great, great show there by Beto O'Rourke last night. By the way, the congresswoman, uh, her name is Veronica Escobar, who represents El Paso, uh, just says again, we're a safe community. We don't need a wall. Everything Donald Trump is saying about El Paso and about the wall is just a bunch of lies.
0: This maligning of our community is used as a tool, a political tool, meant to advance a, a narrative that isn't true.
1: Yeah, good for her. We'll find out more about that and talk more about The Wall, but Dara Lind from Vox, a senior reporter on immigration issues, uh, coming up a little bit later. Um, there is some, um, oh, I guess, related to The Wall. Uh, let's jump out uh, the... Last week, the governor of New Mexico said that she was pulling National Guard troops away from the wall, uh, away from that extra border duty, um, just because, again, it's a manufactured crisis, which is the same phrase that uh, the new governor of California, Gavin Newsom, used to, to announce yesterday that he was withdrawing California National Guard troops from the wall as well.
3: It's pure political theater, period.
1: Uh, and uh, Gavin Newsom says, you know what, Uh, I could do what Donald Trump wants or I could do my job. i got bigger fish to fry, baby.
4: I should be focusing on housing and homelessness and other more important things than playing into this kind of cynicism and playing in this kind of politics and this kind of xenophobia and this kind of nativism because that's what this is all about.
1: Good for him. Good for him. Uh, By the way,
2: that should be the answer for every governor that has to deal with this. We've got bigger problems than right. This manufactured crisis. Right.
1: Right. Um, on other issues, it may not be. Uh, you may be not surprised to learn that uh, Michael Cohen has uh, delayed his testimony again, <laughs> uh, for the third time. Uh, they had a date when he was going to testify, and uh, and uh, we don't have a new date yet. The only date we do have is that March the sixth is the day that he has to report to federal prison. So uh, he better he better act quick. Sometime between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're running out of lunch dates here <laughs> to have him, uh, to have him, uh, him testify. Um, also, on the 2020 front, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, uh, who is um, certainly one of the frontrunners right now, uh, with with more to come, but uh, she gave a very interesting interview, radio interview, interview up in New York yesterday, where she was asked about the legalization of pot, uh, and uh, Kamala Harris said are you kidding? I'm from Jamaica. <laughs> she said, of course I support the legalization of pot. Uh, she also said that, yeah, she has smoked pot uh, at one time. Uh, she inhaled, <laughs> she joked about, and, uh, and said, so you would support the federal legalization? She said, yeah, because it gives people a lot of joy. It gives a lot of people a lot of joy, and we need more joy in our lives. So, hey, you know what? That's the way to deal with that issue. I absolutely, I think it's great. Boom! I think right. it's great. Then I think it becomes—it's it's not an issue from now on. It's Th- so—it's
2: so funny to me. I mean, you know, uh, watching, going back to Bill Clinton, right? Who, yeah. Who yeah. was so all over the place about his smoking pot one time, but I didn't inhale. And then you get to Barack Obama, who said, "Like, yeah, I inhaled. That was the point." <laughs> To now where Kamala Harris is going? Yeah, I inhaled and it was a lot of fun.
1: Right <laughs> and back in the days, it wasn't that long ago when a nominee for the Supreme Court, Douglas Ginsburg, was had to withdraw his name because it turned out that in college he had smoked pot. Yeah, I mean Jesus, crazy. God, yeah, I've told the story before. I mean, just just very really quickly when I was thinking of running for uh, I forget what office it was. <laughs> Uh, in California and um or maybe it was when I did run for insurance commissioner. But anyhow I got a call from the San Francisco Chronicle. said they were they were doing a survey of all the candidates and um they had needed to ask they, they pose a question and um I they would call me back in two days for an answer and the question was, uh did you ever smoke pot? And I said, Yes. They said, No, no, you don't have to answer now <laughs> you can take two days to figure out your answer and then we'll call you. But I said, no, that's my answer. I I don't need two days. Yes. Yeah. Next question. (laughs) I don't remember. I don't remember whether they ask if I inhaled or not, but (laughs) uh, as a non-smoker, it was always hard for me to inhale, but uh, at any rate, but I did manage to do so. But I mean, the whole thing, it's just non-issue. So good for Kamala Harris. And good for Amy Klobuchar, who got back in uh, Donald Trump's face when he made fun of her uh, announcing out in the blizzard, saying she looked like a uh, snowman. Uh, remember, she fired back and said, uh, "Yeah, well, how would you look if you were out in that snow? What, what would your how would your hair survive if you were out without a hat on in that snowstorm?"
2: I don't think I want to see that. <laughs> I don't think I ever <laughs> no, want to no, see no. that.
1: <laughs> Orange dripping down his <laughs> neck onto his Gross. jacket. She talked about it again yesterday. At least I got a nickname.
5: Got your name, nickname, Snow Woman. Snow Woman. It Funny. could be so much worse.
1: <laughs> it could be so much worse, right? True. Yeah. Uh, as 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 Donald Trump has proven with his racist comments about uh, Elizabeth Warren as well. Uh, and Amy did address yesterday, uh, Amy Klobuchar, the issue. She has some criticism about that she's tough to work for and is uh, hard to hold on to staff. I wouldn't be where I am, and we wouldn't be able to
0: pass all those bills and do all that work if we didn't have great staff. I am tough. I push people, that is true. But my point is, is that I have high expectations for myself, I have high expectations for the people that work for me, and I have high expectations for this country.
1: Amy Klobuchar joining, of course, on Sunday joining Elizabeth Warren and John Delaney and Kirsten Gillibrand and uh, Cory Booker and Pete Buttigieg, I think are out there all the ones that are in so far. Did I miss anybody?
2: Mm -hmm. I think you got them all. (laughs) This is going to be really tough.
1: (laughs) It is going to be be tough indeed. Um, A a, a very disturbing poll uh, that I saw this morning. Um, You know, Virginia, and we'll talk more Virginia with Brad Woodhouse and with Marcos Molices from DeliCo's coming up uh, a little bit later in the program, uh, we don't know how, as we said yesterday, they're going to resolve things in Virginia, but a little indication of how how complicated this, is, this issue should not be, but still is in this country. So the Pew Research Center went out and did a little poll yesterday, asking people, in light of what they've seen in Virginia, is it okay for white people? to dress up as some African-American celebrity for Halloween uh, and wear blackface. You would think today in 2019 that would be a very, very lopsided poll saying no. Well, um, we can take some relief in the fact, I can at least, I'm sure you can too, that 53% of Americans said, no way, no how. But I might point out fifty-three percent. That's not Man. what you might expect. That's not an overwhelming vote against it. Thirty-four percent said it's okay all the time or some of the time at least, it's okay. Thirty-four percent. How could you possibly answer that way today? I don't I have I just don't get it. don't get it.
2: You know, it, it, it it's like you, you look at but, all the different issues that have moved so quickly over the years, right? Whether it's yeah, pot legislation yeah. or LGBTQ rights or anything like that, and as a society, we just sort of got on board really quickly and saying, like, okay, this stuff was really outdated. The bias yeah. against these things were very outdated, but the race stuff just race hangs stuff not, on, I doesn't know, it?
1: Not go away. Um, so that's just very. I find that very disturbing. But it also it's a background against which um, this whole thing in Virginia is playing out, and one reason why there's not more outrage. Yeah, you know. Uh, and by the way, I'd like to see that breakdown by uh, regions of the country. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, look into the Pew poll. Uh, the other a little survey that I found a uh, very disturbing, uh, but says a lot. I think is the Houston Chronicle. And the San Antonio Express had heard some reports about uh, an unusual level of sexual abuse among Southern Baptists. Oh, Peter, don't take this personally now. Okay. Oh, no. Um, and they found that they spent nearly a year building a database of Southern Baptist leaders and volunteers who pleaded guilty. Or were convicted of sex crimes in the last twenty years. So these are leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention, or leading volunteers, either ordained, I guess, or you know, active members, uh, last twenty years. More that here's what they found. More than two hundred and fifty people who worked or volunteered in Southern Baptist churches have been charged with sex crimes. Two hundred and fifty people since nineteen ninety eight, roughly 380 Southern Baptist church leaders have faced allegations of sexual misconduct. 380 Southern Baptist church leaders, Uh, third finding. They left behind more than 700 victims, many of them shunned by their churches because they raised the issue, right? And surprise, surprise, they also found that there are more victims and more sexual abusers from Texas than from any other state.
2: God. Oh, that's
1: depressing. Right. Uh, and as even the head of uh, the uh, uh, Russell Moore, who's president of the Southern Baptist Convention Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, his response in, 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 to, to this finding was, quote, he says, nothing is worse than the use of the name of Jesus to prey on the vulnerable. That's exactly what they were doing, right? It's just so disgusting. But so, first of all, this to me goes to the question that we often ask, how can evangelical leaders support Donald Trump? How can they stand behind a guy who is so, uh, brags about committing sexual abuse and these people who pretend to be right the followers of Jesus Christ how can they how can they t- possibly support a guy like Donald Trump i think this says a lot you know why because he's just like they are and they're just like he is and he validates everything that they've been doing and they see that oh man donald get away with that man he's president of the united states so can i right what what, God, are, what other depressing. conclusion can you draw
2: from no, that? No, I think that's absolutely right. I yeah. think that's absolutely right.
1: And you know, they care only uh, they care more about abortion and same sex marriage than they do about Christian principles. Than they do about respect for women, certainly. Uh, and again, they see a pre- in a, in this current president, a president who validates uh, all the wrong that they have done.
2: You know, uh, you, you talk about the re- uh,
1: that is just to me shocking.
2: No, it's it's completely insane. I and mean, you talk about the respect for women. I mean, that is a very serious problem uh, uh, in in religion in general, but especially in the Southern Baptist uh, Church. I mean, that- where I
1: think the policy still is that women are secondary in any relationship to their husband, and 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 their job is to basically follow their husband's dictates. Women right?
2: exist to serve. Her- the husband in that is that is something that they that's preach from word, the pulpit
1: almost word for word
2: yeah literally it, I, mean, it's it's, not, I mean it is yeah, word for yeah, word i mean i yeah. heard that many many times that is yeah. what they preach from the pulpit was in the southern baptist church
1: what was just reaffirmed yeah by, pardon me, by the southern baptist convention a couple of years ago yeah and this is the this is the result oh yeah yeah oh
2: that's depressing
1: whoa Indeed. All right, with that little bit of good news, we'll take a break and uh, come back. So coming up, a great lineup of guests. Again, the uh, legendary Marcos Melitzos, who is the founder of Daily Coast, been around since 2002, is going to join us uh, in studio, his first visit to the studio. Excited about that. Daryl Lynn covers immigration issues for Vox. We start out with Brad Woodhouse, a good friend, Brad Woodhouse, from Protect Our Care, former communications director for the DNC on all the political news of the day. So uh, give us a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. Uh, happy uh, Lincoln's birthday. Yeah, some of us remember when we used to celebrate president by president instead of lumping them all together for President's Day. It is The Bill Press Show on Tuesday, February 12th, brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yep, indeed, uh, the great men and women of our firefighting departments across the land. Uh, you see them rolling by on their way to uh, call. Give them a good wave and thank them for protecting American families, which they do every day. Uh, never let us down. Under the leadership of President Harold Schaedberger, check out their website at I-A-F-F, IAFF.org. Uh, and how about it? Look who's here, Brad Woodhouse. Hey, hey. Uh, from uh, Protect Our Care. Good morning. Director Brad, it's good to see you. Good to see you. As always, and lots and lots to talk about. In fact, we've been stirring it up uh, so far here, of <laughs> course, before you got here even. Right. Uh, Peter. Well, you do a good with... job of that.
2: Yes, indeed. Stirring it up on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. A couple of comments about Donald Trump's rally. Last <laughs> night in Texas, uh, Tom says Trump's show was nothing more than a brown shirt rally with people wearing red dunce caps. And this is insulting <laughs> To Americans, uh, also Bill, you're yes. you're uh, you coined a new term, the Trump down,
1: Trump down, the shutdown, the I Trump mistakenly shutdown. Mistakenly said instead of Trump shutdown, I said Trump down, and they yeah. thought that's, not
4: that's bad. really good,
1: that's right? good
4: yeah. right?
2: Yeah, people have really grabbed onto that in there, and they're running with it. So, uh,
1: so there you go. Also, you have Jim, a Twitter feed called Trump down, I, right? I mean, we, yeah, we should. I, 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 <laughs> I wish to, I could say I. Thought about this for several days yeah. and came up with this term.
2: You get credit, even if it was you a, could good have a happy website. Accident. I mean, there's a, I lot, paid a PR
1: lot of different firm ways to go there. Thousands yeah. of dollars yeah, to yeah. come up with that. <laughs> well, that's how the Republicans
4: would have done it. Uh,
2: and Jim says Trump is clueless. This says it all about Trump's rally in El Paso last night, about him and his 34% base. <laughs> If you have a comment on uh. any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show.
1: So, Brad, you know there were a competing rallies last night uh, in uh, in Texas, and of course Donald Trump could not ignore the one that was just down the street and brag about <laughs> um, how much bigger his rally You mean lie about. <laughs> uh, lie about how much bigger his rally right. was than Beto's. We have him where he talks about the size of the crowds. Right.
3: But a young man who's got very little going for himself, except he's got a great first name. He is, he challenged us. So we have, let's say, 35,000 people tonight, and he has 200 people, 300 people, not too good. (laughs) Uh,
1: For the record, the uh, police department estimated that the crowd for Beto O'Rourke was between Ten and fifteen thousand. Right, right, yeah, right. Look, this is Donald Trump to a
4: T. I mean, he always hopes that the sizes of his things are bigger than the sizes of other things, which I think means he's phallically challenged. But uh, as Nancy Pelosi indicated, as Nancy Pelosi indicated, it's a man thing with him. It's totally a man thing with him. But look, there's, you know, look, he had he had eight, nine, ten thousand people. Ten to fifteen uh, thousand people. I, the size of the crowds matters less to me than the message to the American people. I mean that you know the the anger, the the red dunce caps, as your uh, as your listener said, and, and just the dividing of America that that one rally is represented by, and then the youthful exuberance, forward looking unifying America I mean that's where America is that's why Donald Trump's less than 40% in the polls right. he, He's America's where Beto O'Rourke's rally was not where uh, Donald Trump's rally is uh,
1: so do you think Beto O'Rourke is going to uh, take this a uh, next step and actually declare well, and, I, and run I hope he does because I
4: think I think we need we need every voice we can I I think that we have such a great primary going on, and I and I I think just add adding more to it and having uh, having every voice you possibly can. Um, and I'm not endorsing anybody. I think that the field we have so far is great. I think it's the most diverse. It has the most it has the most women. There are probably going to be might even be more women uh, women getting in. I think it's a tremendous field. I think virtually. It, any of the major candidates that have announced would uh, if the election were held today uh, would beat Donald Trump. And that's what I'm about. And that's what most uh, what what most Democrats are about. But I'm excited about Beto having seen what he was able to do uh, in, in 2018 and understand that was in a loss against Ted Cruz in, in Texas. But the way he was able to to inspire voters the way he was able to connect to voters online. I mean, this is where people live. I mean you you know, you I was sitting in a restaurant the other day or you, you sit you sit at the Amtrak station, uh, you know, getting ready to leave and just everybody everybody's life is in their phone. I mean it's it's and and he really connected to people and he connected to people where they're living today. So I hope he gets in. I hope Michael Bennett gets in. I, I mean I, I I hope Joe Biden gets in. I think a big diverse field because I think it's really important for us to go in uh, to the general election against Donald Trump having really defined where the party is and the best way to do that is to have a big wide open debate from the left part of the party to the right part of the party and everything in between now, I don't think there's a whole lot of right part of this party no, thankfully no. I, I, thankfully uh, we, we, uh, we're uh, in a real progressive resurgence or Renaissance. Um, you know, in this party, I mean, people are sick and tired of half measures uh, and sick and tired of mealy mouth. And uh, and I, I just think that we have a field that's not that doesn't represent that. We got a lot of new energy in Congress, AOC, yeah. uh, that that represents that. And I, I'm so excited for the direction of our party. The one caution I would have is, you know, it, it, and I know your listeners have a lot of fun poking fun at Donald Trump. His 34% base. Um, you know, Nate Silver said the other day he's still a 50-50 uh, to win re-election. Yeah. He said yeah. most incumbents so. should be 70%, but Right. That's a that's a hell of bad odds. Oh yeah. For, yeah. for the American people that there's a 50% chance that this disaster uh, would be a re-elected president. So we have to take that very seriously as we conduct our primary on that. Uh, side.
1: just a little plug if you yeah. check out the hill.com today, my column on uh, the hill.com um, makes one of the points that you just made. I just wonder. Great minds. Uh, <laughs> which is that people really do want bold, big ideas. I think I agree with you. They're tired of a do nothing Congress. Right. They're tired of a mealy mouth Congress, to use your phrase. They're tired of a baby steps Congress, mm-hmm. which is why I think the reaction to the Green New Deal yep. was so enthusiastic and immediate. You yep. know? Now, presidents, I mean, the Republicans, all they could do is make fun of it because yeah. they, they haven't had a new idea in. Well, I can't remember you when. Can't remember when exactly. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you count a tax cut for the rich, a new idea. Hardly. Hardly. Yeah. Hardly. Uh, and so um, I think people are looking for and and you know it, it back on the Green New Deal. It it may not, it's not going to happen all at once. Right. It's right. going to take time to write it and put it into legislation. Right. Each bill, but but the vision of what they're yep. talking about, which includes, by the way, health care. Right. Basic exactly right for every single American. Exactly right as a
4: birthright. Exactly so. right, and we absolutely we absolutely need that. But I, you know, climate so, change is the biggest threat to this uh, to this country and the biggest threat to this planet. I mean, it is. I mean, we're not. And you know, and the president likes to make fun of Amy Klobuchar standing in a snowstorm. He doesn't understand the dis- difference between weather uh, and, oh, no. and and climate. climate. Right. Uh, but anybody anybody alive that's really paying attention, you don't have to be a scientist to see. How how things have changed. I, I'm I'm not a scientist at all, but I'm a fisherman, and I've seen how the the migration of striped bass has changed uh, in the last uh, in the last fifteen twenty years that I've been that, that I've been fishing. There used to be a there used to be a, a striped bass fishery off the coast of North Carolina this time of year. Well, they don't they don't go all the way down there anymore. They don't need to go that far for warm water because the water is warmer hmm. now uh, than it was. Fifteen years ago. Why? Because because the climate is warming because right. we're in a, We're facing, uh, you know, real. And so this this I think being bold, I think AOC, Markey, Nita Lowy has, uh, you know, has, has signed on to, uh, to the Green New Deal. And I, and I think that that is the type of vision that people want to see. Now, we can argue about what is uh, what is practical and what can be done what can be done immediately? What the sequencing is, and that we're always going to have that argument. But we should have a big bold vision, you know, on healthcare, but, for example. Right. Um, yeah. You know, on healthcare, for example, the the media would like to say that Democrats are divided over, uh, you know, shoring up the Affordable Care Act or something like Medicare for all or, or single payer. Well, I think the real the real issue is is what what what, it, what is important for the political moment that we're facing right now, and that is. Uh, for Democrats to hold on to the political capital they have on health care, which the Republicans held from 2010 uh, to roughly uh, 2017, we, to hold on to that, uh, to get big majorities and then do big things. But I think every Democrat agrees uh, 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 at it, the notion of universal health care, that everyone right. has coverage. Right. Everyone yeah. has coverage. So is Medicare for <clears throat> all the answer? Well, I think Medicare for all uh, could be could be the answer. There are, you know, I like I like just about all of the I'm one of the all of the above people. I mean, we believe protect our care. Our view is, is that in the short run, we need uh, we need to do things right now. We need to cash in on the election results. In other words, the American people in our polling and the exit polling say they want some immediate things done while we try to. Uh, cover more people. They want cost to come down. They want cost of prescription drugs to come down. So we should take on big pharma and every Democrat. I don't care how much, you know, big pharma visits your office or writes you campaign checks. Every Democrat should be willing to take on uh, take on big pharma and reduce the cost of prescription drugs, whether it's reimportation or uh, uh, Medicare negotiations, probably where we're going to get the most consensus price gouging uh, you know, a generic reform, all of that. They want that. That is really almost the top issue that the American people see in healthcare. Right, attendant to that is lowering healthcare costs mm-hmm. over overall. The American people, frankly, are not as interested as we are as a party in expanding coverage because if they got it, you know, they don't care as much about their neighbor having it. Uh, but it is in the top three or four. On the list of what the American people want to do, so we need to do all those things right now. Democrats couldn't get Medicare for all through the Senate; the President wouldn't sign it. I think they should have a debate um, uh, on it. They should have a debate in all the committees of jurisdiction on on Medicare for all and challenge the challenge the Republicans. But right now, we need to pass something to lower healthcare costs, lower prescription drug costs, um, and and to, to 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 stop the assault of this administration on pre existing conditions. In other right. words, for the next two years. We need to keep we need to keep the heat on the Republicans because mm-hmm. they're continue trying to undermine American health
1: care. And what is the state of the status of the ACA right now, the Affordable Care Act?
4: Well, it, you know, look, it has been dinged. There is no, uh, there is no doubt. I mean, we have seen, but it's uh, still there. It is, right? it is absolutely still there. So the president would like to say, still covers This, look, this is what the president of, does, right? He's like, oh, we yeah. got, we got to build a wall. Well, <laughs> we got to finish the wall because we've built a lot of wall. He's built no miles of wall. Since he's been in office, but he he doesn't want to concede that he's failed. And so, you know, he does same thing on health care. He goes around and saying, well, we've we've essentially uh, destroyed, destroyed, repealed, uh, repealed the Affordable Care Act. Well, if that was true, he wouldn't be uh, he wouldn't be in a courtroom in Texas arguing uh, for uh, arguing in a case to terminate, as he put it, uh, the the Affordable Care Act if he thought it was already Already gone. I mean, he look. He's just the biggest liar <laughs> ever. Uh, but the Affordable Care Act is, is still in place. It is still strong. It has been. It has definitely been dinged. And I think the biggest uh, issue has not been what has happened legislatively. Although they did repeal the individual mandate. Uh, the biggest issue is the administrative sabotage. It's the introduction of these oh, totally junk plans where they're, they're, they're. You know, during open enrollment, the administration instead of uh, helping market open enrollment in real health care and in real insurance was, you know, was spending its time telling people to go out and buy these short term plans, what we call junk plans, because they don't cover people uh, that have pre-existing conditions. Uh, they, they often don't cover uh, significant illnesses. They don't. Uh, they have caps. They are. They, they only last for a year and then you have to renew them. And, and they. They're they're not what uh, was intended when the Affordable Care Act passed, which was to give people certainty and protections from the abuses of uh, of insurance companies. And when you start down this road of saying, well, you don't have to follow you don't have to follow ACA guidelines. You don't have to have essential health benefits. You don't have to cover people with preexisting conditions. All of a sudden you get scam artists selling
1: not junk, but crap. Yeah. And people buy these people buy these plans thinking they're covered and then something happens and they find out. And, and so th- this administration it's, it's this administration
4: so, just for politics
1: has uh, you know has has
4: pursued policies that have reduced the number of people who have insurance we were steadily increasing
1: the number of people who have insurance they have decreased it by millions can Congress reinstate for example um, some of the funding for like when the enrollment period yeah, comes yeah so that they'll advertise and tell people hey don't forget, you got to sign up again.
4: Absolutely. It, when this election was over with, and, and Democrats won the majority, the first thing we did is went to the hill and we implored, uh, not that we had to, but we implored Democrats to to go big and go early on reversing sabotage for a couple of reasons. One, it is immediate; it is it is having uh, it is having an effect on the Affordable Care Act and people's health care right now. So, sure, we, we, we uh, not only fund you know the ministry. The other thing that they need to investigate uh, is. What has the administration done? Yeah, the administration collects fees that are supposed to be spent uh, to fund open enrollment. Well, they haven't been funding open enrollment in terms of the advertising So, where's, the money gone, huh? so where's that money gone? But in the meantime, also pass legislation authorizing the, the Treasury uh, appropriations to spend money on open enrollment and actually demand that the administration do it. You know, a lot of times, you know, the administration will just ignore the will of Congress. Congress has got to be explicit. You've got to spend. X amount of dollars, or or, or on advertising, you got to spend X amount of dollars on yeah. outreach, and and they got to be very prescriptive. I think about uh, about what that uh, what that means, and then also legislation to roll back these junk
1: plans, and then and have a, a sufficient time. It's like yeah. your early voting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is give people whatever it is a couple of months, whatever the great period is they can sign I mean, up. I mean, It was
4: twelve weeks under Obama, right. and then it was reduced to six weeks. And yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and 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 the the so, amount of weeks may not be as important as as the advertising. It's right. making sure people know. I mean, yeah. you you can yeah. have a hundred weeks, but if no one
1: knows then then you're not going to have the type of sign-up and renewal that you need uh, to have. So I'm going to go uh, back to so much to talk about, back to 2020 for yeah. a second, because I, 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 I agree with you. I am so excited by this primary, and I haven't endorsed anybody yet either, and we don't know, in fact, who all the candidates are going to right. be. You mentioned Michael Bennett. Uh-huh. Uh, he's gotten not a lot of attention. Joe Scarborough has, of all people. Has an op-ed in the Washington yeah. Post this morning saying, yeah. run, Michael, run. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw this morning that the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, is going up to New Hampshire today yep. to stick his toe in the water. Right. So we we know some of the people like Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, who are still considering Beto. Yep. Beto, yeah. Who are not yet in. But there are others who might even surprise us. You know, at one time they talked about Jeff Merkley. Who knows? Yeah. So we haven't seen. I I think Merkley probably is going to win. I think the more the better. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And you're right. Size them up and see who's the strongest one who can best carry the message and lead the party and get rid of Donald Trump.
2: As long as it's not Howard Schultz.
1: Yeah. Well, he's <laughs> well, as long as well,
2: he's 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 not, not running as a, a Democrat, I know, right? I know, I know. Yes, right, right.
4: yeah. Um, and, and by and the way, he he is he is five. pathetic in the polls, and he there's just there's no interest in his uh, in his candidacy. He doesn't know the issues. It's a vanity project, if there ever was. Have one. Have you
2: ever seen a rollout go worse?
4: Um, uh, I I have not seen a rollout go worse, and I I think it, you know. And considering the people he surrounded himself that have done this in campaigns, um, it 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 tells you how pathetic the whole idea of his candidacy. Uh, I heard is. last night
1: from a good source. Yeah, that that's all you have, Bill. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, that his people, and we know mm-hmm. I don't want to mention names. Yeah, right. They're getting fifty thousand a month. Yeah, his top people. Yeah, for. for running his campaign. Well,
4: if I, he has
2: that kind of money. It's him.
4: Yeah. I don't, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, there 50, has to be, there has to be a reason, um, why you would sacrifice your, you know, your reputation yeah, and yeah, piss yeah. off your family and your friends and your prior work relationships, uh, to go, you know, to go do
1: something. You know, the, uh, to me that the, the disappointment is that, I mean, first of all, I don't like Starbucks, but, I do admire the fact that he has the company yeah. treat his employees well, yeah. right? They even went to helping them get a college education, right? And, yeah. and of course, paying them good wage, minimum wage, health care benefits, the whole thing. So I thought there was a, tr- a lane yeah. for an enlightened businessman. In the Democratic In primary. In the Democratic right. primary. Right. Who would be more conservative on the, some of the fiscal issues maybe? Right. But, okay, put it out there right. and let's see what happens, right? right? And instead... He trashes the Democratic Party and says right. he can't be a Democrat because he'd have to agree with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez on everything she says. Well, let
4: me tell you something: the the, the country is moving her way, of course, not moving, uh, not moving absolutely, his, not but moving It's also way.
1: okay for a Democrat yeah. to disagree with her and still be a Democrat. Right, right. Mean, exactly. No, exactly. Right. That's his whole the whole basis. I find for his candidacy is. Insane. Well,
4: it, it, it's it's outrageous and it's a vanity project. And, right. Um, it, you know, it, it it is not it is not true that the country is a third Democrat, a third Republican and a third independent. Uh, there may there, there's there's self-identification and then there's voting. And, you know, a lot of people right. who say they're independent just want to believe they're independent. But they're some, sometimes as strongly affiliated with a party as the people who identify. With, with a party. And all he all he will do is uh, every all the polling shows that he will siphon off votes. He doesn't siphon off votes from Trump. He f- siphon off votes uh, from uh, from Democrats. And, you know, it, uh, Howard Schultz it, it, it is running I, it, it, to keep Donald Trump in office. And it's abhorrent.
2: I, just, I I just want to mention some breaking news here because we're talking about elections. This is a this is a different kind of election. Uh just mentioned on Twitter, uh Mark Kelly, the husband of Gabby Giffords, yes. uh astronaut announced he is going to run for Senate in Arizona. Well, he put out a video this morning uh says he is going to run for Senate. <laughs> Good
1: for him. Well, good, yeah. for, him. Yeah. good Ast- for him. Good uh, for him. Former astronaut. Former and, astronaut. a uh, real leader with uh, Gabby Giffords in the- a crusader uh, the, against- crusader uh, Absolutely. Uh, for, for gun safety measures. Yeah. 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 Well, that that's- uh, And a good spokesperson. I've yeah. seen him. He's re- really good.
4: And, and so I So he would think run against- McSally. McSally. Who, oh, you know, yeah. Who picked yeah, up yeah, yeah, when- yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, look, uh, Martha McSally has no place in the United States Senate. No. Right. She- he, was defeated in yes. a yeah she was defeated in a Senate race by um, by by Kirsten Cinema uh, and then is is appointed uh, to to replace uh, John McCain and it's like the voters just rejected her right. she has no place yeah. in the United States Senate um, you know she she will forever be the person that uh, that said let's get this effing thing done in terms of repealing the <laughs> Affordable Care Act it was something that weighed her down. In that race that's not uh, mm-hmm. that's not going away presidential election I think we will be targeting I think any uh, Democrat worth their salt uh, after what cinema did there um, will be targeting Arizona uh, I mean you know big Democratic progressive uh, turnout and uh, whether it's Mark Kelly I don't know who else is in right. the race so I'm not considered making an endorsement but uh, Mark Kelly is obviously a substantial person he's been around politics yeah. I think he understands yeah. it. He's, he's done a lot of television. He understands the media part of it. Um, but whoever runs against McSally should beat her because the voters already said, we don't want, we don't lady, want we don't want you in the Senate. Yeah,
1: right. We don't want Senate. you in the Senate. So um, it's about a minute and a half left here. Has well, the, are you joking? It, I know. I'm sorry. Time flies. Has the, dem, has the Democrat- I want to come in for our next time. <laughs> deal, deal. <laughs> All right. uh, which I hear a lot of people saying, this is the meme now in the media, that the Democratic Party has moved too far to the left. Well, I, 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 I
4: think the country is moving in that uh, in that direction. And look, there is the, the great thing about the Democratic Party is that there is a big range of uh, of ideas. But I, I in no way believe that the party uh, is moving is moving too far to the left. For one thing, the voters serve as ballast. Right. And so, um, you know, we're going to. Uh, we're going to move to where we think uh, the voters are. We're going to put ideas for, out.
1: That, when you pick up forty seats in the House of Representatives, yeah. you kind of reflect where the people are refle- going. You
4: reflect where the people. Right? You reflect where the people are going. Ab- you know, absolutely. And I, I don't look I, th- th- these labels. I, I just don't believe. I mean, if you look at most of, and look, you can't just run on polls. But if you look at most of the polls on the issues that American people care about. Uh, they, they Republicans would say that they all are radically left. But the, but the American people want to do big and significant things to curb climate change. They want to do big and significant things yeah. uh, to roll back corporate uh, greed and abuses. They want to do big things to ensure universal, uh, universal health care. Uh, We're moving to the just,
1: left. We're moving to where the country is. Just a quick note on that. I saw a poll, I think it was 82% of Americans agree with the... Goals of the Green New Deal. Yep. Well, now, we I mean, haven't seen the specific legislation yet, but the general goals, eighty-two percent. So I think so the issue here up.
4: is that the Republicans hey. are moving way off the other way. Next time, a
1: whole hour. A whole Five hour. House. All right. All right. Guaranteed. This <laughs> is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends! Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
2: everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show,
1: live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump down in Texas for a rally last night, but guess what? There were just as many people just down the street for Beto O'Rourke. Competing rallies in Texas. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is The Bill Press Show here on a Tuesday, February 12th. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always, with all the news of the day. We'll tell you what's going on. That, that's how it works, as we join you online, on the radio, and on television, coast to coast. Uh, so we'll bring you up to date on what's going on, and you tell us what it all means to you. You know how to do so uh, by sending us your comments on Twitter, at BBC Show, at BBC Show. Uh, It looks like uh, that as we reported, where we reported yesterday, that talks had broken down to try to avert a shutdown by the end of the week or a trump down, as we're now calling it. Um, Things have changed overnight and there seems to be an agreement in principle. What does that mean? We'll find out. Uh, But whatever it is, it has to pass the House and the Senate gets signed by the president uh, to avert another trump down. Uh, to help us through that particular issue, uh, Dara Lind is the senior invest and in immigration reporter for Vox, uh, joining us in studio. Dara, it's good to see you again.
0: Good to be here. Good morning. Right.
1: Thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, and uh, we will, that and other issues coming up for the next hour. And again, we want to hear from you what it all means to you on Twitter, at BP Show. So we'll bring you up to date on the latest on the border front. But first... <laughs> Peter this is the full court press
2: you got it just a couple of other stories making news you know yesterday we did a rundown of all the different grammy winners but we forgot one we forgot one we got to mention jimmy carter jimmy carter won a grammy really yeah he won a for- grammy for the best spoken word album uh oh, his oh. audiobook faith a journey for all huh. won for wow. best spoken word album now this is not his first Grammy, by the way. He won a Grammy previously for another one of his books. This makes Jimmy Carter the third oldest winner in Grammy history. Wow, he's ninety-four years old.
0: Yeah, but how many Grammy winners have also won Nobel Peace Prizes?
2: He's going for I, what's the what's the yeah, EGOT right. when you add the uh, Nobel Peace Prize to it? Uh, the, the 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 I, knee got? I guess doesn't have this quite the same ring. Uh, <laughs> I, so, at 94 years old when he won, How uh, the great. oldest ever is Pine Top Perkins, who won a Grammy in 2011 at 97 years old. So, he's just not far behind it. But you know, Barack Obama
1: got a Grammy for reading his book.
2: Yeah, yes, exactly. Hillary Clinton has a Grammy as well for her book. Uh, so, congratulations to Jimmy Carter. Still getting things done at 94 years young.
1: Why didn't you nominate me for my book?
2: Oh.
3: Uh, yeah, we you know what,
2: you've you got to get one of those. We've seen your Emmys at home. you got to yeah. get a Grammy now. you got to get a Grammy now. Okay, so I have to mention this story because it's gone viral. There is a house for sale in uh, Pennsylvania, in Maple Glen, Pennsylvania. They say that they have uh, five bedrooms, a beautiful kitchen, a beautiful family room, a master bedroom suite. The homeowner is leaving behind a pool table, and according to the listing, it says, quote, it has a sexy twist to it that is not like any other home in suburban Philadelphia. In the basement is kind of like what I call a private sexual oasis. In other words, they have a sex dungeon in their house. No kink shaming. No kink shaming on the Bill Price Show. But if you buy this house, you get all these wonderful amenities plus a Dude. private sex dungeon.
1: Is this Fifty Shades of Grey?
2: Fifty Shades of Maple Glen, Pennsylvania, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. The house comes complete with whips, chains, other adult items that may um, be what you're into. So, as of now, it has had thousands of views on the uh, I, the page.
1: I, I don't know whether it's worth buying, but it's worth going up there to take a look at.
2: Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, just take a look at the sex dungeon. Uh, it has. It is still on the market. By does the way, does the equipment
1: like come with it?
2: It comes with it. It does. Yes, okay. they were leaving some of that stuff in. So, if like I said, it's still on the market. If you're looking for a house with a sex dungeon in suburban Philadelphia, check it out.
1: This is the Bill Press Show. We got a deal. Uh, Well, maybe we have a deal. At least we have a deal. An agreement in principle is what they are saying. Uh, The special commission formed to uh, resolve the border security issue and avert another shutdown this week. We'll see how that's going to play out this week. Hello, everybody. That's the breaking news here on this Tuesday, February 12, on the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome to the program. As we come to you live all across this great land of ours, coast to coast, north, south, east, west, we're there with you on the radio, on the great WCPT out in Chicago, and the greater Chicago area. We're there with you on television, on free speech TV nationwide, and of course, worldwide online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us. You're looking good today. Lots and lots of news uh, to uh, talk about. But we start, of course, with um, the word from the bipartisan Border Commission formed a couple of weeks ago uh, to try to uh, hammer out uh, some compromise, some plan that would avert a second government shutdown. The deadline is this Friday. Dara Lynn joins us from Vox, covering a senior reporter covering uh, these immigration issues we turn to often when we talk about the border. Hi, Dara. good to see you again. Good to be back. So what do we know? Uh, we had, um, you know, it was Senator Shelby last night with just a very, very short little statement about where he thinks things are. We
3: reached
1: an agreement in principle. An agreement in principle, Dara, what's What's that mean? So
0: that means that they haven't actually drafted the text yet. As a matter of fact, while there are kind of on background mm-hmm. blurbs from congressional aides floating around, yeah. I haven't seen so much as a one-pager on this. But uh in theory, they could be drafting the text as early as today. They had initially wanted to get a deal done by midday yesterday, because with various, you know, calendar issues in the House and Senate, they wanted to make sure that it had past both floors by Friday, uh, they're going to be, you know, this is making it a little bit tighter, especially if they can't get to a deal to, uh, you know, get everything uh, drafted today. But of course, the big question with any deal in principle is it's not totally clear that either side can really promise that they absolutely have the votes within their caucuses. And it's definitely not clear that the president has signed off on this.
1: Right. Now you have seen and I have seen uh, the numbers uh, as, as to what, yes. what they're they're talking mm-hmm. about, um, and it. I'm just uh, here we go. Yeah, it's yeah. a one point
0: three one dollars in physical border barriers, which comes out to like in in particular, they're authorizing funds for fifty five miles of steel bollard fencing, which are the you know what Trump calls steel slats. They're the kind of best practice physical barrier that was in place even before the Trump administration. Uh, those are going to be built uh, along 55 miles of the Rio Grande Valley in Texas which is an area that doesn't have a lot of physical barriers except for you know the Rio Grande. Uh, but where a lot uh, that has been a real hot spot especially for groups of families coming into the U.S. They are also authorizing money. But, uh, just slow, yeah, you, yeah, yeah.
1: slow you down. Um, mm, no. 1.37. Yes,
0: which, of course, is a lot less than $5.8 billion. That's the point
1: I wanted to make sure that everybody everybody saw. Uh, And that is, again, not for a concrete wall, but for steel. steel
0: Yeah, yeah, steel poles.
1: Bollards. Yeah,
0: the the logic on that is, as Trump has said, really going back to 2017 when he started talking about a see-through wall, the operators on the ground really don't like opaque barriers because they want to make sure that they can see, you know, if somebody is is like trying to build a ramp up in a view, you know they want they want to be able to see who's on the other side. Um, right. So placing steel poles close enough to each other that you can that you can't get through them, but far enough that you can see through them is kind of the way that that works. Uh,
1: and this would be for fifty-five miles, I should say, in the Rio Grande Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there's also some uh, some language in there, I think, about um, uh, some 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 sensitive environmental areas or where there's private property or whatever it's not it's not a blank check to...
0: it's not that said the administration has taken a pretty aggressive stance in court on private property especially in Texas um, they've been really, They have DOJ attorneys who, even during the government shutdown, were working to get eminent domain of those. So it's, you know, yes, there are considerations. But in general, the kind of the the land use considerations have been, I think, one of the obstacles to building, quote unquote, the wall that haven't really been a big issue for this administration so far.
1: So, um. What as, as the outline again, we haven't seen nobody, I think, has seen um, uh, a one pager, yeah, uh, let certainly far short of actual legislation, right? But from what we know, the dimensions of this and the, the leaks that have come out, um, what do you think the chances are that it could pass the senate and the house?
0: This is so. I think that the question here is really less about the physical barrier than about what erupted and, you know, I gather you guys talked about yesterday, the beds issue, yeah. But it Um, seems that
1: the beds issue has sort of like almost disappeared.
0: So maybe. Uh, What we were hearing last night is that the – so the current funding level uh, since since March of 2018 has been for about 40,500 beds. Uh, ICE has been keeping more people in detention than that by a lot. That's now up to like 49,000. The deal in principle uh, reiterates the existing funding level, which is to say it says 40,520 beds. So in theory, that's supposed to be a restriction. That said, uh, Republicans were going around telling reporters last night that there's still flexibility in there for the administration if it wants to bring the detention population up to even 52,000, which is what the administration was asking for. We don't really know what exactly that means. Um, It could mean that because the way that detention beds are funded, it's they, you know, Congress authorizes for an average population of X. So Republicans could be thinking, yeah, they have flexibility for some of this if they want to reduce it, you know, if they need to to just surge detention at one point and then reduce it down the road. It could mean that there's language in there that makes it easier for DHS to move money around to detention which they've done in the past but which usually requires congressional authorization and now that right. democrats run the house they would probably not they they couldn't expect approval for that anymore uh, or it could just mean that republicans are kind of you know playing a little bit they're they're trying to sweet talk the administration into accepting a deal that it might not otherwise accept which one of those it is may very well determine A, whether some of the conservative Republicans get on board. The Freedom Caucus is already talking about how this is not a deal they can accept. And it might determine where progressive Democrats are. Uh, There has been a real push, not only, you know, not only is it in theory a concession for Democrats to be giving any money for a physical border barrier, but there's been a real push toward reining in interior enforcement. And so with Democrats not only having given up their you know, their demand for ICE to cap the number of people it's detaining after arresting them in the U.S., which is what they were pushing for yesterday, but possibly even opening the door to an expansion of detention, even up to the level that the administration wants. It's possible that progressive Democrats are going to blanch at that.
1: I Hasn't uh, Speaker Pelosi said that she will support whatever the commission comes up with? Yeah, absolutely. Members oh, yeah, commission? no, no,
0: no. The, the leadership... It is clear that the appropriators are operating with the support of leadership here. And furthermore, frankly, uh, the, the kind of leading Democratic House appropriator for Homeland Security, uh, Representative Royble allard has generally been toward the left of her caucus on detention issues in particular. She's the one who stopped. There used to be a provision in the law that ICE had to have 43,000 beds available at any given time. She's the one who got that out of there. But mm-hmm. as the caucus has moved to the left, it's not. You know, this is going to be, I think, a, an early test of uh, uh, whether the progressive wing of the caucus is willing to fall in line with leadership on this stuff. Um,
1: so, um, so I hear you. You saying it's not a done deal no, <laughs> that no. that this deal would pass either the House or the Senate.
0: I mean, we'll see. It, it's it's certainly more likely to pass both of those. I think if there's a point where it's particularly likely to break down, it's probably going to be the president signing it. But if the president says Uh that he's not going to sign it, it, that makes it harder for Republicans to vote for it. So, you know, it's it's, we we usually I mean, I think a lot of people forget that even the March 2018 omnibus, uh, even though Trump signed that there was drama (laughs) literally up to the minute that he signed it about whether he would or not. There really is no such thing as an easy deal under this administration because the president's so unreliable.
1: Right, and he's still saying, so let's get to the president. Last night um, he indicated when he stepped on stage in Texas how closely he is following the work of this commission uh, and how much he knows about the details and how interested he is in learning about every little detail. Um, here, here he's telling the crowd uh, what his priority is.
3: I said, wait a minute, I got to take care of my people from Texas. I got to go. I don't even want to hear about it.
1: I don't even want to hear about
0: it. It gets better. He then, after the rally, does an interview with Laura Ingram. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah In yeah, which
0: he told her that he could choose. He was given a choice between learning about the the agreement in principle that had been worked out while he was on stage, or talking to her, and he chose talking to her. So he said, "So his his big update was they're talking and maybe they're working something out."
3: Yeah, I he's... don't even want to hear
0: about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. He said uh, something about that, uh, the same thing with the choice uh, uh, again, yeah. in front of the crowd, he made that point too.
3: Maybe progressives made, maybe not. but I had a choice. I could have stayed out there and listened, or I could have come out to the people of El Paso and Texas. I
1: chose. Or talk to Laura Ingram, uh, shall we just say the kind of thing is, let's say he's not the detailed policy wonk that Barack Obama was
0: yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I mean I on the one hand, frankly, the there has generally been an inverse correlation between direct White House involvement in congressional deal making and Congress's ability to actually make deals, like, you know, the, Uh, In the week before the shutdown ended, they were very active in trying to, you know, get support for the compromise that they had unilaterally proposed and didn't, you know, weren't really getting anywhere. But of course, you know, if it were a simple matter of I'll sign whatever you guys can come up with, that would be one thing. But there now is a really open question about whether the president will say either $1.375 $1.375 billion is less than Democrats were willing to give me in December, which is true, right? right you know, right. Chuck Schumer yeah. went in offering yeah. $1.6 billion. Um, or whether he'll say, until you give me everything I want, all the beds, all the money, everything, then I'm not going to sign.
1: Um, so at that point, he said, and the White all the White House would say last night is we're keeping all options open. Okay. Right. So the options would be one option would be um, to to sign it and move on. Uh, Unlikely, perhaps. Uh, Another option would be to veto it. Right. Another option would be to sign it and just build the wall anyway, which he sort of said last night in front of this crowd, it doesn't matter uh, if we have that clip, Peter, again. He said, it doesn't matter basically what they come up with. Don't worry. I'm going to build the wall anyway. Here he is.
3: As I was walking up to the stage, they said that Progress is being made with this committee. Just so you know, we're building the wall anyway. They say that progress has been made. With
1: this right. System. So, like, you know, why even bother with this whole thing? Why even bother with the Congress? I'm just going to do whatever I want anyway, right? And find the money somewhere. So that's another option: build the wall anyway, get some money from somewhere else, and build it. Or the other option he's talked about is an emergency declaration.
0: Right. And and those last two options actually only in the last day or two have. Uh, emerged as distinct possibilities the thinking a few weeks ago was you would sign the emergency declaration and what the emergency declaration would give you the power to do would be to tap into some existing funds elsewhere in government that you could then use to build the wall apparently uh led by some people in the white house led by mcmulvaney uh the acting chief of staff slash omv director slash you know former whatever um, have said that you don't have to get the emergency declaration in order to tap into those funds. You can get Department of Defense funds, for example, by saying that you're trying to protect the troops who have been sent to the border for border security, uh, which is an interestingly circular logic. Um, So it's it's really not clear whether they're going to, you know, even if they decide to act unilaterally, they can go the less likely to get sued in court, but less splashy route or they can do the emergency declaration to, you know, provoke everybody and, and own the libs. They don't, you know. Th- there's also the option. Frankly, I mean, Trump last night was trying to get the crowd to change their chant from "Build the uh, wall." I was to just finish going to ask all, right? you about that, right? Yeah, yeah. like there. I mean, the
1: new the new um, kind of pitch, right? Is we're already building the wall anyway, right? So all we need now is the money to finish the wall. Any truth to that?
0: I mean, to the extent that there were already some 600 miles of physical barriers on the U.S.-Mexico border when Donald Trump went down the escalator at Trump Tower in 2015, sure, right? If you're going to define any border barrier as a wall, then there already was a a bunch of it. Over the last six months or so, Trump has realized that, or appears to have realized, that in order to actually get credit for building things while doing what the operators on the ground want, the kind of steel slats, you know, without trying Um, to go from sea to shining sea, that he's going to actually need to make that clear to his base that it's not necessarily a concrete
1: How much of a new wall has Donald Trump built as president?
0: I think so- The real answer is that no wall has been is that basically no wall has been built where there wasn't wall before, although they do have some contracts that have been inked and signed for new build. Technically, there have been like a few miles because they changed the they they did something to change the direction of one of the segments that they've replaced. I think that this is not like they have replaced a bunch of barriers that were a little bit old that weren't as kind of that weren't as state of the art with the bollard fencing. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that at some point we're going to start getting new build. Obviously, this 55, these 55 miles in this new deal is new build. build. Um, So I think it's it's much less about is there any new fencing than about is Donald Trump just continuing to build what was in place earlier? You know, they tried to build prototypes of a Yeah. Of of, you know, a new fencing design. Those prototypes did not work out super well. The uh, the government accountability office said that most of them couldn't be built on ground that wasn't just flat. Um, So it appears that they've kind of he went down there to see them. We
1: haven't heard about them since. Right. 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 No, yeah.
0: There you know, there there were reports that they had had Marines try to scale them. And then you kind of had leaks coming out that that actual Marines were a little bit mad that their branch was being sullied because that is not what had happened. You know, it's They appear to have kind of put the idea of a new thing being built on the back burner and decided that they're just going to expand physical barriers that exist, call that the wall. Most of Trump's supporters don't live close enough to the border to know necessarily the details of what's going on there anyway. I think the real question is like, Whether the people who weren't interested, who were more interested in chanting build the wall than finish the wall last night, whether they're now so invested in the idea of a big new shiny thing that they are not necessarily going to go along with the president's, oh, now we're calling steel slats a wall thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Um, We've also seen uh, in the last couple of days uh, two governors, uh, the governor of New Mexico and the governor of California, the new governor of California, Gavin Newsom, saying we're pulling back our uh, National Guard troops from the border because uh, it's a manufactured crisis. Uh, In fact, uh, Gavin Newsom yesterday was, uh, when he made his announcement, even stronger than that uh, in saying he just was not going to play Donald Trump's game.
3: It's pure political theater, period.
1: Pure Political theater. Period. He went on after that, but uh, so I guess my question to you is: So, with all this talk about the wall, the border, the whole thing, uh, the crisis, uh, and Donald Trump again last night talked about this as an invading army uh, of criminals, terrorists, drug dealers, rapists, all coming up to the border uh, on chartered buses. He talked about too. What? What's the reality? What? What? Is- Coming north or, or coming across the border.
0: So on a very, very, very macro level, we're dealing with a fraction of as many people coming through as were in at the peak of unauthorized migration around the turn of the century. That said, I think that that's really not the most helpful way to talk about it because there is an unprecedented phenomenon of, you know, for the first time, as far as we know, we know ever and everything we all the evidence we have suggests that this is unprecedented. A majority of people coming through, coming into the U.S. without papers, are in families or are unaccompanied children, and that so poses a challenge. So, if I can just stop you, challenges. it
1: used to be like from California and right, dealing right, with this issue from California.
0: Yeah,
1: the issue always was men, yep, single, single men, men coming from
0: Mexico, largely
1: from Mexico, coming for jobs in California, Arizona, Nevada, whatever, yep. right. So what you're saying is that population now has changed.
0: Yes, and yeah.
1: Instead of men coming back who would send, if they could get a job, they'd get it. Send their money home. Now these are families.
0: Right, right. Largely from Central America, and often seeking asylum in the U.S. Um, although not not n- not necessarily the overwhelming majority, but many of them are. Um, you know, often trying to to settle permanently by one means or another. And so that poses specific challenges for border patrol agents who don't necessarily have like, you know, outposts in New Mexico don't have food like on hand that are nutritionally appropriate to make sure that eight year olds get the nutrients they need. You know, there's there are logistical challenges with being able to get to, you know, keep as many people in humane conditions and then getting ICE to pick them up and you know figure out what to do with them next. Really, there are ways in which this isn't something that government is equipped to handle, even though it's on paper a smaller number of people. The deal so in principle it, that, that has been signed does kind of address a little bit of this. So. Uh,
1: you know, just like jump again. it seems yeah. to me that we've got, again, we, uh, it's almost like we have the wrong army trained for a totally different job uh, now in a situation where that the skills that they got, the training that they got might have fit the needs at the border 10 years ago, I don't know, I mean, or five if, years ago. But well, today, yeah, 15, it's entirely, 20 entirely years different ago, maybe, if, you're, yeah. if you're talking about families with little kids, right? And you've got yeah. housing, you've got schools, you've got health care, you've got nutrition, all of those issues. It's almost like maybe we need more social workers at the border. And fewer border agents. Yeah, I mean, I think Armed one of the ironies is, is
0: that one of the things that was done, especially because, uh, you know, having to deal with all of this during the shutdown, one of the things that the government did was get some of the National Guard units who had medical training to kind of do to help them with medical screenings. So that capacity is now being reduced. But I mean, I think it's it's not just that it's, you know, you it, a more militarized response would have been more useful when more people were coming in. Hardening the border. Has you know encourages people to only come if they want to settle, and it it discourages people from coming if they're just going to get caught and turned around. So families, because of you know because yeah. the law gives them due process, certain due process protections, asylum seekers get certain due process protections. Those are the people who aren't being deterred by the buildup that we've had at the border over the last twenty thirty years.
1: Now, meanwhile, the president talks all the time about drugs and drugs and ninety percent of heroin or whatever coming across. And as we learned from the El Chapo trial, right. most of that is coming in at ports of entry right, in very clever, very sophisticated uh, ways that they found to hide these drugs in containers of, I don't know, olive oil or cooking oil or... Um, or in the bodies of cars. In yeah. the bodies of cars and in cans of jalapeno peppers, all this kind of stuff. So what is being done about that? So, I mean... Just a
0: slight asterisk, there's a little bit of a measuring problem here because the government doesn't actually try to estimate how many drugs are successfully getting through. They measure drug smuggling in terms of what they catch. So if they're more likely to catch stuff at ports of entry, it's going to look like more is coming through there. You know, what we know from the El Chapo trial is that that's not is that there is other evidence to suggest that that's a better way to smuggle things. But there has been some attention to increasing money. You know, there's the... There is new tech coming into place that does kind of whole vehicle scanning uh, at ports of entry. And there's also money in this deal, I think. Yeah, there is. There's there's $1.75 billion for kind of a bunch of, you know, good government-ish things. And that includes more capacity at ports of entry, more screening for drugs. It also includes some of the you know, some money for the kind of humanitarian stuff we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, It's that's actually been something that Democrats have been the ones pointing out, like, hey, if you're concerned about drugs, here are things you can do. Uh, They've actually in previous iterations, the Trump administration said, great, we'll include that. And that's going to be what we're giving you as part of this oh, deal. Yeah. And Democrats said, no, 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 no. We weren't asking for it yeah. as ex- in exchange for $5.8 billion.
1: All right. So let me ask you the uh, final and the, uh, the, the, the big question is uh, from your call, your reporting, um, are we going to end up at the end of the week with a deal or with another Trump down?
0: I think we probably end up with a deal. I think the question is whether the White House feels the need to kind of do unilateral executive action on top of that. On top of that, We'll see. Who knows? All
1: right. Uh, Follow Daryl Lind at Vox, vox voxgot.com, vox.com. And, of course, the now legendary Daily Coast founder of the Daily Coast, Marcos Molitsis, joining us next here in studio on The Bill Press Show. Give us a little break, and then we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for
2: The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show.
1: And on this Tuesday, February 12, so good to see you today. Thank you for being with us as we come to you live coast to coast on the radio, on television, and online. And we're brought to you today from our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Under the leadership of uh, President J. David Cox, they are the largest um, union of federal employees, uh, very, very much uh, hoping and uh, awaiting for the Congress to reach some kind of deal this week to avert another government shutdown because they represent the members, including TSA employees, who were either furloughed or forced to work without a paycheck during the last Trump-down uh, we salute them thank them for the support of the program check out their website at afge.org uh, and join me in welcoming to the studio a good friend a legend in his own time the founder of the Great Site Daily Coast Marcos Malitzas hello marcos nice thank to see you thank you and you're way too kind welcome to the uh, east coast here <laughs> the sort of the uh, we're, we're we're sort of the east coast balance of you lefties on the, on the which I left when I left uh, California. But welcome you to kept the swamp. That, uh, welcome to the swamp. Welcome to the swamp, right. Uh, by the way, so we were talking a little earlier about the Green New Deal, which I want to ask you about. Okay. And uh, we had a little poll going, Peter. We
2: did, yeah. We had a poll on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We asked you, is the Green New Deal brilliant? Or, as the GOP has labeled it, loony. (laughs) Let's just first of all say 15% of you say they are undecided. What? 6% say it's loony. An overwhelming 79% say it is a brilliant idea, including some people who commented on it. Pauline says, we need a new deal for everything these days in the age of Trump. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And uh, Dim Apples, Dim Apples on Twitter says, Trump may have succeeded where liberals have always failed before. We might actually get socialism here in America. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you have a comment on the Green New Deal or any topic, frankly, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show.
1: So, Marcus, I I found that the Republican response to the New Deal may be predictable, kind of pathetic, which was, oh, my God, you know, this is loony. This is crazy. I mean, how can you talk about um, dealing with climate change and income inequality at the same time? And. I think the American people are ready for some big new deals. What yeah, do you find?
5: Uh, no, absolutely. It's, it's, Republicans are going to accuse Democrats of being socialist Marxists. I mean, Obama was, Hillary was, Kerry was, Carter was. It, it does not matter, right? And it's almost a case of the boy who cried wolf. I mean, they used the same attack. And if they had nothing to work with, like with Obama, they would just make stuff up. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I really like about this new generation of Democrats that have risen up, and I think Pelosi's sort of in that boat now, Mm -hmm. is that they don't care what Republicans are gonna say, because they're gonna say what they're gonna say anyway. And we used to be so obsessed with like, oh, we can't give them ammunition. It's like, you know what? It literally does not matter in the end of the day. And actually, even Trump has proven that. Like We thought we had all the ammunition against him, Mm -hmm. and we were riding high, and it turns out that when you build an agenda that motivates your base, that's incredibly powerful, and suddenly we have here something uh, that is clearly aspirational. I mean, the idea of a uh, some of this stuff can be done quicker, but things like guaranteed uh, income, very difficult. Right, yeah. And, but at least it gives people a sense of what the Democratic Party is striving for. And whether it's uh, something that you can quickly accomplish or something that's going to take some time is actually quite irrelevant. To me, it's always been important. And I used to always say uh, in 2016 that I wanted the candidate that was a mix of Hillary and Bernie. like Bernie's aspirational... Policy uh, or uh, vision Mm -hmm. of what the Mm -hmm. party could be, and Hillary Clinton's pragmatism. And I think there's a way to meld those two. And so already you're seeing in this Democratic primary that there's starting to be kind of a division along pragmatic and optimistic Mm -hmm. viewpoints. And you have Sherrod Brown came out and said, Well, it's not realistic that we have Medicare for all. So let's go to 50. And I don't think anybody really wants, No, we can't. I don't think that's a real selling point. I think we as a party have a, we have. Uh, the potential to build this incredible grand vision of where the country is. I think policy-wise, we're on the right side. Public opinion, we're on the right side. So why are we going to sit there and constrain ourselves and say, no, we're only going to talk about what's possible? Let's make everything possible, realizing it's a long-term process.
1: Right, which that's so important, I believe. I mean, nobody is saying, take the Green New Deal or whatever it is. Even Bernie's idea of... um, Single payer. Now we call it Medicare for all. It's not going to happen overnight, right? But that's where we got. To, that's where we could be aiming. And what I love about the Green New Deal is it ties climate change with income inequality, right? And sees that the two are really part of the same picture, right? right. And, and I mean the, that we should be striving for.
5: Right. The solution to the climate change can be something that can actually address income in- inequality. It's actually and create great, jobs and yeah. absolutely, and so. Um, I do think it's important for our activists to realize that our system's not built for rapid change. I mean, even Trump hasn't been able to do everything he can't. I mean, it's it's an incrementalist system. It was designed that way. And one of my sort of pet peeves with, with uh, some liberals is this, you know, this idea that, well, Democrats are sellouts and because of X, Y, Z, and yeah, obviously, we're not gonna argue here that the party's perfect. But for those of us who've been around for a while, and you've been around longer than I have, uh, but even in my 15 years as uh, running Daily Coast, the party has come a long way. I mean, oh. I remember when—, when uh, Boy, you bet uh, on
1: many issues.
5: It was yeah. back 15 years ago, Democrats were saying, we won't cut Social Security that much. <laughs> 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 you know, they'll cut it more. I mean, that was the argument they were making. Howard Dean was crazy for supporting civil unions. That made him unelectable. So this idea that we haven't we've obviously come a long way and I think now we have this new generation that's pushing the party to be right. even more bold. We're in a good place. I know.
1: What pops into my head is Kamala Harris yesterday saying, Of course I'm for the legalization of, of <laughs> marijuana because it gives a lot of people a lot of joy, you yeah. know, which I thought was just your head off. And yeah, did I smoke? Of course I did. I'm from Jamaica. <laughs> you, said, you know, there's no trying to play games with it or whatever. Just no. right, flat out. Right.
5: We're in a much better place, and that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of ground to cover. Right. Yeah. But this system works slowly, and we are within that system. We're making a lot of ground. So I want to go back to what you
1: said about this because think about this—the socialism thing. Obviously, Donald Trump picked up in his State of the Union. He says, "We are never going to allow America to become a socialist country." I mean, they started that with Harry Truman, and when he wanted, basically, health care for all, right? Yeah. Calling it socialized medicine. And and everybody thought that they would use this against Bernie, and they would have, had he become the nominee, right? Of course. Um, they used it against Do Hillary. you think it... it used, so they used <laughs> it against her. And yeah. you're right. They used it against Obama, right? They don't even know what it means, by the yeah. way, right? Uh, do you think it
5: works in 2020? No. No. Um, I mean, one of the facts of, of, uh, of just the matter is that socialism actually pulls pretty well. <laughs> and this is something that Republicans <laughs> no, no. haven't realized. They yeah. are their own worst enemies when it comes to, to capitalism. And I, I'm, a, I'm a capitalist. I'm not going to sit there and say, <laughs> right. but there, there is a democratic socialism that is very appealing. I don't think they're incompatible. I don't think socialism means that, that the state controls all means of production, right? I mean, it's, there's a place right. where we can actually take care of people and not let the worst excesses of, of, of capitalism sort of run rampant. And that's what this income inequality is, which is absolutely out of control. And that's why uh, Elizabeth Warren talking about a billionaire surtax is actually really popular, I mean, even with Republicans, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. half of Republicans agree. There was a Fox News poll that showed. I know, I was just the, looking I, at that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something like sixty four percent of Republicans say, Yeah, people who make ten million and above yeah. ought to pay a higher rate of taxes. This it, is not controversial. Hello, Howard Schultz. Do you hear? <laughs>
2: it also says a lot about our memory as as a people. Like it was not that long ago that there was a huge tax on people making more than, you know, ten million dollars. under Reagan. And then they slowly started to chip away at that until now they basically run the world.
1: Now it's, now it's socialist.
2: Right, yeah. right. Right. So
5: yeah, by, by creating a system that has been so poorly serving the broad American workforce, they've opened up that door. Same way that by attacking Obamacare, which was actually very incrementalist, uh, transitional as far as a solution to to providing health care to everybody, by attacking it so fiercely, they've opened up the door for Medicare for All and universal health care. And so sometimes they are the, our best allies in these issues, recognizing again that this is an incremental system that doesn't allow for rapid sort of shock change. Yeah, so let's go back, May
1: 2002, right? The birth of?
5: Yes, oh my God, of the Daily Coast. The Daily Coast, coast. yeah. Well, uh, what prompted you to get us started, and where are you today? Uh, take us a little bit Yeah. Further. I mean, what prompted me, this was in the run-up to the Iraq war. I'm a uh, army vet. I served my nation in uniform. I was also an immigrant. I came from El Salvador, um, and I was watching sort of this, this, you know this demonization of liberal what liberal media there was back then and again what i talk about then and now <laughs> night yeah, and day right i, I mean absolutely uh, alan Colmes on fox news <laughs> was like the liberal voice and you had joe klein who was supposedly a liberal columnist in time magazine telling us that every rational person of course knows that saddam hussein has weapons of mass destruction so mm. i'm sitting here i'm a liberal and i'm watching what debate there is um you have uh, what's his face on MSNBC lost his show because he criticized, Ed Schultz, uh, no, it wasn't even Schultz. It's, um, he was, he also oh, had a talk uh, to Donahue,
1: Phil Donahue. Yeah, that's lost right. his show yeah. because
5: he criticized using cruise missiles, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I just started blogging. This was very early in the in the blogging sort of era, because I was just frustrated. I mean, there was never any sort of intent that this was going to be anything more than my own sort of personal (laughs) way to get this stuff off my chest, these frustrations. And apparently, I like to tell my conservative friends that there was a market need for strong, unapologetic liberal voices. And I mean, I remember when I had 100 people come to the site on a single day and I thought I can't fit 100 people in my living room. <laughs> and then during uh, during Howard Dean's speech at the California Democratic Party convention, which was sort of his big coming out, uh, I had, at that time I had 40,000 monthly visitors and what? that seemed insane and, yeah. and today it's about 10 million. Oh my uh, God. Daily Kos yeah. has, has an email list that's four million strong. Uh, our monthly uh, viewership's about 10 million unique visitors a month. I mean it's a whole different world. Less. Cycle, the last two year cycle, we raised uh, close to $50 million for progressive organizations and candidates. Uh, so we move a lot of money to campaigns and people, and we're very engaged on the electoral side. I know there's a lot of progressives that are frustrated with politics because it doesn't move quickly enough. You know, everybody feels like they're selling out, and money's so pervasive and corrosive. Uh, we believe that we only change the system if we help elect good Democrats. And so that's what we focus on today. So
1: you endorse candidates, of course, yes. right? And yes. provide money. So, yeah. like, what was it, the blue, um, what the central kind of clearing? Oh, uh, Act Blue. At, Act Blue. Yeah, so Act blue. Is? yeah. Yeah, right. So you, but you, you're you throwing your, I'm sure, small
5: donations, right? From your uh, yeah, members. Yeah, absolutely. It's all yeah. $6 donations. And uh,
1: yeah. were you particularly, uh, do you particularly focus on the, uh, congressional candidates, state legislative, governor, across the board, or
5: we focus. I mean, historically, what we did is and we, we're
1: talking progressive candidates. Absolutely, course, right? yeah.
5: yeah. No, it's it's we're we're trying to make the party a better party. Now that doesn't mean we're not. We can be very um, strategic sometimes. So we 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 work uh, to raise money for Connor Lamb, who's not I, the most liberal, but it helped get us to the majority, which was absolutely. the critical. And and I think yeah. nobody and can by argue right,
1: he fit that district. He did. You know, I mean,
5: that was the point is to win the district. This was right? what, a 20 point <laughs> Trump district. I mean, yeah, this is not. Yeah, a... yeah, yeah. <laughs> and instead of having some Louis Gohmert or Steve King or, you know, crazy right wing Republican, which was the alternative, we have somebody that that may not fit the progressive label perfectly. But you know what fits great? Nancy Pelosi, a speaker, and I think she has shown the value in being uh, pragmatic at times. But we'll engage mm-hmm. in, par- in primaries. Uh, we're very much focused on, particularly, you know, more recent, last couple cycles, on candidates that fit the Democratic Party electorate. So candidates of color and women were a huge focus of ours uh, this year. We've always tried to avoid the top tier races. I mean, if, if you have all the party committees spending $20 million on a top tier house race, our $500,000 isn't going to have as much of an impact as a race that, you know, the candidates raising a million total. And mm-hmm. we go in and we, you know, raise their, their, and this was a cycle where a lot of those midterm candidates won. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah, It doesn't always happen, but this is a cycle where we were able to expand that playing field. And that's a, a big, big source of pride for us. And we also very ha, play heavily in state legislative races, places where we can try to pick up a state legislature, we can stop the Republicans, we can impact the gerrymandering process which is going to kick off in in you know two years mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. year actually yeah okay. after the next, after census. The next yeah. census yeah so we also think strategically it's how can we ungerrymander a lot of these states which have given the republicans a big structural advantage how right. do we reverse that
1: and and uh, uh, we've talked about this here i mean in addition to 40 congressional seats uh, Democrats picked up seven governorships and I think about 350 state legislative yeah. seats this year, which is huge again. And, you know, we as a party, Democrats took their eye off the ball 10 years ago before the Karl Rove didn't, Ed Gillespie didn't with their oh, red don't. map uh, program, but Democrats did, and they were able to get control of so many legislatures that they could have impacted the reapportionment, which they did. So it it all it all ties together, and that's got to be that's got to be their focus. So when you look at um, the twenty twenty field emerging, um, what's your take on it? Are are there too many candidates? Um, do we have the right candidates and um, with the right message? And have
5: you endorsed anybody yet? <laughs> um, we're not going to endorse. Uh-huh. As an organization, we don't endorse in a primary until somebody has mathematically eliminated the opposition. Okay. And I suspect that this cycle that's going to be very very difficult.
1: I think it's going to be late in the game, yeah. don't you? Yeah.
5: Um if you ask me who I see sort of dominating, Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren. and I think Harris is going to play very well in the west and south and I think Warren's going to play very well in the northeast and midwest and they may go all the way to the end and to me that's almost a dream ticket. Either one. I don't flip, you know, I don't care who's who's ahead. Um, I do think that if you're a white male and you think that this is your year, that you're not reading the room correctly. So, um, and I say that as <laughs> indelicately as I possibly can, that this is not your year. And um, white men, particularly white men, white men voted for Democrats at a 39% clip last year. Women were 60, 40, 61, 39, actually. It's almost mm. the exact... Mm inverse. Obviously, people of color were 80 to 90 percent Democratic. I think it's very important from a purely political standpoint that we have a ticket that reflects the demographics of our party. That's what allowed us to win so many seats last year. We had so many women candidates, so many candidates of color. That's who people were excited about. Look at this freshman class in the house. Yes. It is absolutely remarkable. I mean, I tear up every time I see and and i love the the contrast pictures where you have the republican side and then you have that colorful just in, because women don't wear the dark suits right so uh, no I the even. state
1: of the union the dark suits oh, on the republicans it's yeah. a sea of dark suits yes god
5: And so I think this is exciting. This is a point where people are realizing that the party base is realizing that they're finally represented in the candidate pool. And that is incredibly motivating. And I think it's hard for maybe the Sherrod Browns or the Michael Bloombergs to realize that that maybe that moment for them has passed or they don't have the same institutional uh, advantages that they once did. But I think the party, I think our ticket needs to reflect who our party is. And so... It's not me saying, I don't want better to run. I, I think it's great. And, I, and having that discussion, I think, will help brand our party in a way that I think they're – I used to think that the Republicans' big field in 2016 was a detriment. I actually think it helped them. How about a Julian Castro? Um, Julian – I mean, he's okay. My, my, my problem with Julian is that he – could have been the better. He could have run statewide in Texas and help mobilize Texas Democrats, and he took the easy way out. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the presidency is a place where you take the easy way out. I would say the same thing about you know Mayor Pete in Indiana, who, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Indiana's a tough state. Show us that you can win Indiana, and I'm gonna take you a lot more credible, or at least make it really, really, really competitive. Uh, mobilize people, show that. Don't go from mayor of South Bend to thinking you can run for president. And there's a lot of uh, candidates along those lines that see, well, I'm in a red state. It's really tough to run statewide, so I'm just going to try to jump ahead and run nationwide. I mean, I think that's a kind of a ludicrous uh, step to take. So um, I know that Castro was chosen as, as HUD secretary as a way to raise his national profile to prepare him for sort of a national run. And it was sort of a strategic move. And, and to me, again, like I said, it's... it's. it's
1: still, he still could have run against Ted Cruz or he could have... Right. Run. And yeah. he could,
5: now he could run against Cornyn, right? I mean, the the foundation has been set. You have, So one of the fun facts about Texas is that every year, 200,000 Latinos turn 18 and 80,000 old white people die. <laughs> and so <laughs> even... You can figure out where that's going, right? <laughs> better loss by 200,000 votes. Yeah. So... This is not a state that is going to be Republican much longer just based on birth and death rates. And I know that sounds indelicate and I'm not the most diplomatic person. But it, it's – and, you know, of those 200,000 Latinos, not a lot of them vote. It's one of these problems mm, we yeah, have, right? Right. So it's not as simple as let's add 200,000, subtract 80,000 because not all those 80,000 are – Republican either, right? It's not, it's not that simple. But you can get a sense for that long-term trend. And in, four year, in two to four years, Texas looks a lot different. And Julian Castro can take advantage of that, and he's, and he's not.
1: So by your equation about uh, an assessment about where the party is today and what the party needs in terms of leadership and candidacy, see, um, it seems like you might be telling Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, uh, don't and, waste your time. It's
5: not your year. You know, I, I would tell Joe Biden go out a winner because you're not you know if you run you're gonna go out a loser and is that really what you want your final legacy to be? Uh, and that's not even getting into Anita Hill and the crime bill and all these sort of old Democrat. The party has evolved. The party has changed. The party used to be for don't ask, don't tell. Now it's not like it's, things have changed. But he does seem a little bit of an anachronism from a Democratic past when we have so much new talent that is actually exciting and getting people revved up. I mean, the crowds that Warren and Harris are getting are real. And so to look at that and say, I'm better than that, I think requires a certain level of arrogance and uh, almost Trumpian level of, uh, of narcissism. To think that you would be better than that, and a lot of that I think maybe stems from even, and not not necessarily those candidates, but there's sort of this, this uh, sexism, pervasive sexism that women can't win, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. dangerous. Women, you know, we need to beat Trump, and so we have to play it safe. And you're gonna play that game every Republican they put up. You're gonna have to play that game. And the fact is, Hillary Clinton, with all all her faults won 3 million more votes than Trump, and it took an incredible accident of history for Trump to win that White House. Everything had to go right for him in so many places, and he's not going to have that advantage in 2020. Uh,
1: And for Bernie, who did show the capacity not only to attract huge crowds, but huge crowds of and votes from young people, uh, including a lot of young women that they thought might have gone for Hillary. Uh, That moment has passed for Bernie, you believe?
5: Yeah, I mean, he... Bernie was it was a it was a binary choice in 2016, and it was sort of the establishment versus not threat. this time, and not this time. I mean, you, I mean, there's how much daylight is there policy-wise between Warren and Bernie? I, I don't. Is there any? I mean, and she actually has a. I mean, she's not a fake progressive. I mean, she has a track record of getting progressive accomplishments. I mean, just with the Consumer Finance Protection Board, if nothing else, but she has that solid record. And so if you're looking for uh, – and she's not going to be the only progressive, progressive candidate in the race, right? So that you yeah. actually have a choice, and you can pick. And Bernie's Achilles heel is that he did a poor job of, of appealing to the party's growth demographics, and he's done nothing in the two years since. In fact, he's exacerbated some of those divisions by saying, you know, diversity is not as important as income equality. Uh, and whether you agree with him or not, saying things like that are incredibly damaging uh, and, and they're not received well by communities of color. Yeah. So- he- And I,
1: I, 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 think you may know, I may not, but, you know, I was a big Bernie bro in 2016 and I'm, I haven't endorsed anybody yet e- e- either. But, you know, Bernie um, at that time, Progressives didn't have anywhere else to go. How oh, was it? And uh, O'Malley? Mally. Yeah, O'Malley. I'm sorry, I forgot. Martin <laughs> O'Malley. Or Jim Webb. Right. <laughs> or Link Chafee.
5: Oh, oh Link so, Okay, so they had nowhere else to go but, but Bernie. Right. right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Whereas today, I mean, the reality is there are, there'll be several other choices.
5: And not only that, but the price of admission is Medicare for all. The price of admission. Yes is how affordable we, college. How far
1: we have come.
5: It's amazing.
1: Yeah, right. And I give him credit for a lot oh, of that. Oh, absolutely. Bringing that in. Yeah. yeah, it's so good to visit with you. Thanks so much. Oh, it's such if a pleasure. If you're on the East Coast, come back again. Uh, and of course, it's dailycoast.com, dailycoast.com. And if you're not one of the, uh, what, 10 million or so far, I mean, come on, sign up, right? Please. Great, great to see you. Thank, thank, thank you so you. much. Uh, the rest of the day is yours, folks. Make the most of this Tuesday, and... Uh, back and see us again tomorrow because you know we'll be looking for you
3: this is the bill press show